0: This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, a little podcast from Whole Whale, we're talking about Nonprofit News from the week of, oh my gosh, the first week of November. Nick, it's the first week of November. This is, this is something. Uh, we have made it, I think. And that means, I think Mar- Mariah Carey music is about to start. Not yet, but pretty darn soon. We've got a lot of things in the giving season horizon. High times for the holidays and, and nonprofit news. But let's uh, let's jump into it. Where are we, Nick? On at a glance.
1: Sure, I can start us off. Our first story is we have to talk about COP26, the massive climate summit at Glasgow in Scotland. And this week, the world's attention has been focused on this summit. Um, world leaders like Narendra Modi uh, of India, Joseph Joe Biden, our president, um, in attendance, uh, really pushing climate action to the forefront. Again, we were two days in. I've been following it a little bit. Um, some big announcements about deforestation uh, and uh, some other uh, other commitments there, but. What's really interesting is this is, I think, one of the rare instances where you have uh, nations, international organizations, and NGOs and activists actually all getting in the same place in the same time for a same objective. And I think that right about now, we're finally, as a global community, starting to realize that climate action is very much an all-hands-on-deck problem that affects all of us. Uh so it's kind of cool to see um some reporting from The Guardian emphasized that smaller countries were felt that they were didn't bear the the brunt of the burden of uh the carbon emissions that were largely emitted by uh you know larger countries like the u s and China and felt that in many ways they should not have to kind of pay for our price and when you think about it like smaller island nations like uh, Jamaica, and the Caribbean, and in the Pacific are, in many ways, most vulnerable to climate change. Um, so this article from The Guardian was just saying that some of the leaders of those countries feel like this is not necessarily their fault. And, uh, you know, we're all in this together. But it's really important for the bigger countries to step up to the plate, because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to be able to make the big difference. But just wanted to throw those in there, just because it is such a big uh, summit, uh, so much news uh, and press focused around this one event. So I, I'm curious, George, what are your thoughts? What, what do we make of this for, for the nonprofit folks listening in?
0: I'm trying to make that connection myself. And we have to talk about it because so much of the social impact industry is focused around the idea of zero emissions, uh, reducing, reusing, but obviously getting to this uh, you know fight against climate change, which uh, the man-made components can be and should be avoided. I think there's an opportunity to positively run with stories out of this. So, you know, pulling up the narratives, as you just mentioned, of uh, underdeveloped countries or small nation states that are disproportionately uh, affected at water level. I think you can bring some of those narratives to life in the way that you help it, because it is not just isolated to, you know, the archetypal Polar bear floating on a you know dwindling ice cap anymore. This is quite literally something that is disproportionately affecting uh, people without means, uh, without means to you know afford the the increasing costs of sandbars, of insurance, of the changing climate in in regions that uh, cause increased uh, migration movements. So I think there's a way to bring in this narrative to you. I would avoid, and I would say this uh, hopefully aspirationally. I would avoid any sort of throwing stones at people that like flew jets in or came here and like look at their carbon footprint for having this meeting. Like that's not what we need here. And that single action is absolutely not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that like India is finally pledging a target zero emissions by 2070, something they announced. We're, we're looking at macro issues and just, you know, I um I refuse to sort of read or, see any sort of story about like oh, can you believe bezos's nerve to like fly a jet in you know what he released 0. 0.0 whatever but if he writes a check for billions of dollars and he's part of a narrative to put social pressure on developing countries and can move like billions in solar panels like let's relax here
1: <laughs> i agree you got to get the people in the room first for sure Our next story, I can move on to. George, this is one that you and I actually are intimately familiar with because we here at Whole Whale have released a nonprofit advertising study. So we've released our 2021 nonprofit advertising benchmark study uh, that analyzed a whole scope of organizations over seven. 7100 um, using data from an organization called Cause IQ, which was a partner in this project. But uh, the report is now publicly available for free. You can find it on our website. Uh, you can find it um, if you subscribe to this newsletter, which you can do in the show notes. You can also access it uh, via that way. But this study is available both as a full report and as an interactive dashboard for a very small fee. And George, I'll turn it over to you because you were one of the authors of this study, what did you find that was surprising or maybe might be most impactful for uh, the nonprofit communications and marketing folks listening in?
0: We started off with a simple question because this is something that Whole Whale, as a digital marketing agency deals with is like, how much should we spend on ads? How much should my nonprofit put toward a paid ad? So Keep in mind, this is not talking about the Google ad grant, which we know, which we love, which is 10K per month, use it or lose it in kind on Google search. This is for, hey, what are organizations between the sizes of, and this is important, our sample size, 1 million in revenue to 10 million in revenue. And we filtered out of that group uh, organizations that were more operating without government grants and other sort of caveats that changed the rules. And what we came away with was that the median spend for the sixty percent of nonprofits in that group, the sixty percent that actually spend is about twelve grand. Or think about it, a thousand dollars a month is that median spend. Now, as you ratchet up for larger, closer to that ten million, it was actually a it was oddly accurate to this five percent of revenue. So they had ad spends that were five percent uh, median ad spend to median revenue. I mean, to the revenue was uh was about five percent in that ratio, which I found. Just interesting because I actually thought that larger organizations would maybe like spend a larger, larger percent. I expected to find some uh, deviation there, and then there was a strong power law, meaning that uh, the top, uh, a yeah, top twenty percent spent seventy six percent of the overall total. So that there are some big spenders. Like hey, big spender, there are some big spenders in that profit sector. Very interesting. I'm teasing on this. Very interesting with industries. Uh, and segments, of uh, causes that are, that are outspending others there. And so I think there's a lot to learn in terms of benchmarking, seeing where your organization is against, uh, its peers, especially during a budgeting season, because look, social media, if we're talking about the, the Zucker pants empire, uh, is, is pay to play. If you are a nonprofit, that is not a social media platform as an advertising platform. And I'll say it as many times as need to be said that, um, that's why we wanted to look at this. A final takeaway point that was kind of in the back of my mind was we segmented all of those data by whether or not the organization was founded, founded this century or last century. So just, you know, over under year 2000, and we found that uh, organizations founded last century actually had uh, more likely, more likely to have no ads. So 41% had no ads versus 37% having no ads founded this century. And it just sort of confirmed the sort of bias that we had about organizations founded in a current internet first landscape, where it was seen as more of maybe a priority in its operations Now, on both sides. There are, of course, outliers. So there's tons of gems in here. And if you were in budgeting, planning, and just having this conversation, we've amassed a ton of data that will uh, hopefully... Help you make a better decision about advertising. And that's at wholewell.com/slash advertising. Special thanks again to CauseIQ, our partner, uh, a leading data platform for nonprofits.
1: So I can take us into our next story from the summary. And this is about a portion of money allocated within the build back. Better bill that includes about a hundred million dollars for nonprofit security grant program or the NSGP. Now, this story comes from JewishInsider.com, and it seems that the purpose of this allocated money is actually particularly related to um, physical and like actual infrastructure security um, for nonprofits, particularly religious uh, organizations. Um, so this article from Jewish insider, uh, kind of goes through, um, the, the money, how it got allocated, uh, and, um, I think is going to be seen as really welcome within those communities, which, uh, you know, unfortunately with, uh, spike in anti semitism of late in America, um, this, uh, this money can be put to good use to, uh, you know, securing the the physical security of uh, organizations and nonprofits that that might seem uh, that might quite frankly be experiencing threat or harassment. We're trying to keep an eye
0: on the Build Back Better plan, and you know, if you're talking about that many trillions of dollars going toward the social safety net, and in, in part, I think there's a lot of narratives that we're going to try our best to find for where nonprofits uh, tend to gain or might gain from, but certainly. No, not just limited to religious. I think this might even extend to any like it could even be like sort of uh, Planned Parenthood potential or uh, protections against people that are uh, working around the uh, pro-life and pro-choice narratives there. And I think there's a lot of increased violence um, and, and tensions around polarized issues more so than than ever before in our country. So that type of money to protect a nonprofit who, guess what, doesn't have a security force budget line item uh, is important because if your mission is to provide services to low-income women and suddenly you're dealing with armed mobs, not saying that they are, but there also is not a lack of threats coming in that there should be additional funding put toward that uh, public good that they're providing. So you know, interesting to see. We're going to continue to try to pull on the the, the narratives uh, of what may be coming in the Build Back Better bill. You have to say it five times faster every time you say it. It's weird, but I feel like it should be part of the bill.
1: I agree. We want to see that in part of the bill. Again, the Build Back Better bill is currently not even a bill. It's still just a framework. So we can, we can hope and dream, <laughs> but um, it's definitely something we will keep an eye on we can now move to our next story. And this is an important one, I think, for folks listening in right now. And that is that Charity Navigator is adjusting its methodology due to the pandemic. So this article from Charity Navigator itself, I'm sorry, from the Nonprofit Times, outlines how Charity Navigator is adjusting its rating methodology for the last year due to the pandemic. And the article goes on to state that Nonprofits have experienced challenges uh, never before seen within the industry last year, and that Charity Navigator, in understanding this, is uh, giving organizations a chance to uh, kind of be transparent and explain where they're at. Um, there is so most of Charity Navigator's ratings are based on filings within your. 990, but is actually also giving organizations the opportunity to anecdotally fill in a questionnaire um, about how they were or were not able um, to provide services during the pandemic. So it gives organizations a bit of a chance to add some clarifying details um, with their 990 and then their their charity navigator rating. So I think that this is really important. This is something that uh, can really help add legitimacy to your organization to be rated by um, uh, a place like Charity Navigator. You know, there's other ones as well. But um, an important uh, thing to note, and also just again, kind of solidifies uh, <laughs> how crazy the times we're living in are right now, um, and how that we all need to. So adapt. to put on your
0: to do list, it looks like Charity Navigator for organizations that are filing after the years ending on March 31st, 2020 is allowing a questionnaire, a questionnaire to be answered by uh, the executive team, it seems like, from the nonprofit to add to its listing. What's more, what's more, it's also trying to account for if the fact that, you know, services change. It's not going to uh, necessarily decrease the number of stars. So let's just say you were going to lose your Michelin star, right, for... providing services or not, if you respond to their questionnaire, you can maintain your rating, which I think is pretty fair, actually. So far to date, only 3,600 nonprofits have done this. So this might be a good thing to put on your to-do list. If you're a nonprofit that had any sort of fluctuation in services provided in the past year, add the note, maintain your rating, and I think that's time well spent and and pretty fair, I'd say, of, of Charity Navigator.
1: I agree. Moving to our next story is this is just uh, kind of a, a toss in that we threw in here from uh, uh, BlackBaud, um, which of course is the, the software company, but this is some tips for Giving Tuesday, talking about, um, you know, uh, including folks in your Giving Tuesday planning, uh, you know, meeting with teams, um, you know, drafting communications ahead of time and and really solidifying a strategy. So well worth reading. But, George, what do you think if there is if you could offer one piece of advice for Giving Tuesday in 2021 to organizations, what would that piece of advice be? What's that one takeaway? Think of
0: it as the kickoff and not the end of. Giving season, making sure that you are asking from supporting donors to kick off their giving for the year rather than make their final gift, because you'll end up with, unfortunately, sometimes maybe smaller donors, smaller donations coming from people who have the capacity to give more. So think about this not as finding new donors out there in the world itching to open up their wallets, but more getting an existing audience that you have built up over the course of the year to give their first gift. And what's more, ask three friends to give, right? People, number one reason they give is because their friends ask them. And by the way, it's a quid pro quo where their friends are asking them to donate. So you're really trying to motivate a small core group of supporters inside of your organization to give. And then by the way, just keep in mind, everybody's yelling at the same time. So really pace yourself.
1: That is good advice. All right, George, are we ready for a feel-good story? Okay, this one is about an organization called SCARCE, which is an environmental nonprofit based out of Chicago, but they run an event that involves smashing pumpkins. So we all love pumpkins. I have My apartment's filled with pumpkins, but um, were they just to go into a landfill, they'd sit there and decompose and release methane and all sorts of dangerous gases into the air. But instead, what you can do that this organization is supporting is you can go to an event and catapult them into the sky and smash them into bins that will then compost responsibly all of your pumpkins. And it turns out that the pumpkin composting, smashing industrial complex... It's not an industrial complex. It's a nonprofit complex. Has kept more than 150 tons of pumpkins out of landfills. So this seems like a fun way to blow off steam while keeping all those gases. At I think the it's the
0: perfect use of marketing for a nonprofit to think around holidays, traditions, and how you can reroute waste or redirect attention. This is perfect. I think everyone should be doing it, and that's a. It's a lot of pumpkins. And speaking as somebody who carved his pumpkin a little bit too early, they definitely go bad in a hurry. Also, really quickly to shout out here our you know sponsor continues to be our online courses for Whole Whale University, which by the way, we mentioned the advertising report. If you are a member of Whole Whale University, you get that report, that dashboard, and those data for free. Plus additional resources that we are constantly adding to Howell University it's a perfect way to think about investing in capacity at your nonprofit to build up areas like advertising and by the way giving tuesday tips and webinars that we have on demand at slash all right that's what we have for you this week for the nonprofitnewsfeed.com nick thanks as always happy november Happy November, George.